right, take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, I want to uh, preach a little bit on uh, the subject of what is right with the church. What is right with the church. Now we live in a day and an hour where there is so much discussion about the earthly church. And if you're talking about man-made organizations, then uh, you can certainly find things wrong with the church. But I'm talking about the blood-bought, redeemed, saved, on their way to heaven, those who are here in the earth and those that are already there in the presence of the Lord. I'm talking about that church that has been saved by the blood of the Lamb. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And tonight I want us to look at four things that are right with the church. If you will, follow along with me. You know these passages of Scripture. <clears throat> Let's rehearse them this evening in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Father, would you help us tonight in this wonderful opportunity to preach the Word of God. Holy Spirit, come and just touch my life, quicken my body and my mind and my lips. Help me to speak as a man of God the truth of God. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just touch the precious people that are gathered here in this room. Touch their hearts by your Spirit. Let them receive tonight the incorruptible, wonderful seed of the Word of God. And let it bless them and strengthen them and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And we give you praise and thanks for it in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. The first thing that is right with the church is its founder, the founder of the church. Church. 
there are many, many man-made organizations. And many of them have, if you will, so-called founders. You have the Jehovah's Witness. You have the Mormons. They have their particular named human founders. You have religions such as Buddhism. You have religions like uh, Hinduism. You have belief systems like communism and socialism and capitalism. And all of those are man-made organizations, man-made cultural ways to respond to life. And all of those things have their human founders. But I want to report to you tonight that there is no human founder for the church of Jesus Christ. There is only one author and finisher of our faith. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, wherefore Seeing that we are encompassed or surrounded about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us hold fast our profession of faith. It tells us to lay aside every sin and the, and, 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 and the weights that do so easily beset us. And then it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith the beginning and the end of our faith. Hallelujah. I'm telling you tonight, friend, we are looking to the founder of the church and the church is founded upon Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. It's not upon a man, not upon an organization. Yes, there are Baptists, there are Presbyterians, there are Pentecostals, there are Catholics, there are Assembly of God people, there are non-denominational. I never have understood the non-denominationals believing they're not a denomination because they're so strict about being a non-denominational that they have become a denomination. Take that for what it's worth. I'm telling you, there are all kinds of man-made organizations. That's why the Assemblies of God meet every year. We're trying to straighten this thing out. We have our general councils every two years. We have our district councils every year. And we do business trying to figure out how to govern the church and what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And the truth of the matter is, is, is that the longer we pursue those things, the more uh, sometimes confusing that gets. Because what works one, one year won't work the next year. What works in one culture won't work in another culture. But I want to declare to you tonight that the church of Jesus Christ has no wrong with it. Uh, the church that is bought with the blood of Jesus, the Word of God that has founded it and is its principles is completely without error, has no problems. There is no, no situation that can't be solved outside of God and His Word. Uh, the founder of the church of Jesus Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God Himself. What are His qualifications? Well, I want us to go to one of the Gospels. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. That means they're alike. 
in the sense that they are written uh, in a chronological way, following Jesus from the moment he's born until the day he dies and then is resurrected. Matthew, Mark, and Luke contain all the same information. Matter of fact, everything that's in Mark is in Matthew and in Luke. And there are some things that are in Matthew that are in Luke, some things that are in Luke that are in Matthew. They're all kind of uh, uh, joined together at the hip, if you will. But the Gospel of John is somewhat different. Not that it differs in the sense of presenting Jesus as the Savior of the world. But John writes in the latter part of the first century. Matter of fact, uh, probably the last 15 years, within the last 15 years of the first century church, John writes. The church has been established probably for 50 to 60 years when John is moved upon by the Holy Spirit to write the gospel that bears his name. And it is written with one purpose, and that purpose is to prove who Jesus is. Jesus is the very Son of God. Matthew tells us that He's the King of the Jews, and it's written from a Jewish messianic perspective. Uh, Mark is written from a Greek-Jew perspective. He writes to the Roman culture. Two-thirds of the world at that time were slaves, and Mark associates with the slave culture, talks about Jesus being the suffering servant of Yahweh. And then Luke writes as the only Gentile writer out of the 40 who wrote the Word of God. Luke being the only Gentile writes from that perspective and he sees Jesus as the Son of Man. His humanness. But John comes along in that last part of that first century. And there is this uh, horrific doctrine that has began to be taught. And it pictures Jesus as being less than the forever, always, eternal Son of God. And it says that Jesus is much like an angel, a created being. Uh, it has its roots in a teaching that is called Martianism. And then later on was called Arianism. And it teaches that Christ is not the forever, always Son of God, but a created being. And John was so stirred by that, was so moved by that, that in Ephesus where he lived, uh, he decided that uh, by the Holy Spirit he would write this last Gospel. And it bears his name. And he starts out not with the birth of Jesus. He doesn't tell us about the Christmas story. He doesn't go back to the lineage of Christ. But what he does, he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John the same, came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men might believe in Him. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name." Where, which were born not of blood, but of the will, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, uh, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, oh, brother and sister, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the founder of the church. The reason He is is because He's the Son of God, sent by.
by our Heavenly Father. He became flesh, became the Son of Man by the vehicle of the virgin birth. He was born without sin. He lived without sin. He died without sin so He could bear our sin to the cross. Hallelujah. He was buried on the third day, rose from the dead, triumphant over death and hell, and He lives forevermore. Somebody shout, I'm glad I know Him. I got more air than I thought I had. (laughs) Jesus is the founder of the church. John writes his gospel and he focuses on seven miracles. The Greek word for miracle in John, it's only used in the gospel of John. It's uh, the Greek word simeon. And Simeon means a sign or a wonder or a miracle with an underlying meaning. It has something to say other than just the miracle. And John uses seven Simeons in the Gospel of John. Uh, The least amount that are mentioned in the Word of God in the Gospels, John pinpoints seven. And out of those seven, each one of them, have something specific to say about who Jesus is. It teaches us about His deity. You remember John concludes his Gospel in chapter 20, verse 30-31. He says, these things are written. What things? These signs, these simeons, these miracles. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing on Him, you might have life through His name. Aren't you glad that you know the One whose name is Jesus? And in Him is life eternal forever and forever. Hallelujah. The seven signs that John uses are are statements of the qualifications of Christ. How could Jesus found the church? Because of who He is. He's the Son of the living God sent on a missionary journey to redeem mankind from sin. And the Bible teaches us uh, that Jesus is the forever, always, eternal Son of the living God. Remember in John chapter 2, He's at a wedding in in Cana of Galilee. And there they run out of wine. And, And the Bible says that He turns water into wine. And you remember the comment was, that uh, this is the best wine. You've saved the best till last. The best wine in the Hebrew mind was the sweetest wine. And so Jesus turns the water into the sweetest wine. And uh, as a result of that, we understand that He's the Master over quality. He, in John chapter 4, heals the official son, the nobleman's son. You remember, he, He says, Go your way, your son is made whole. And and it teaches us that Jesus' distance is no problem with Him. He's the master over distance. Uh, I'm glad tonight that Jesus can be here in Monticello, Arkansas. And halfway around the world, Jesus can meet with His people there in China. And then on the other side of the planet, He can be in Norway. And then on the southern part of the planet, He can be in Brazil. I'm telling you, wherever... 
Wherever God's people are gathered together, Jesus can be there. Why? Because He's the Master over distance. He's the Master who can be with us wherever we are. He promised that He'd never leave us nor forsake us. That He'd be with us always unto the end. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's why He could found the church of Jesus Christ. He healed the paralyzed man in John chapter 5 who had been sick for 38 years. I'm here to tell you tonight, friend, no matter how long you've suffered with a problem, no matter how difficult your life has been, I'm just here to tell you Jesus can step in and in a moment's notice, He can overcome time. He can overcome the, the ravages of time. He can solve the situations of time. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Time is not a problem with God. In John chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. 15 to 20,000 people are gathered there. Only 5,000 men is what the Bible says, but you know they had wives and children. And scholars tell us there were probably 15 to 20,000 people there. And Jesus took a little boy's sack lunch, and he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, I thank you for this. And he blessed it. And then the Bible says he began to divide it. He began to break it. And what had been just a little sack lunch in the hands of a human little boy became a banquet meal in the hands of Almighty God. I'm here to tell you, friend, Jesus is the one who can multiply your little and make much out of it. That's a rhema word for somebody tonight. God is saying something to you right now in this service where you are where you are in your life, what you have, you think it's not enough. But Jesus says if you'll just put it in His hands, if you'll just commit it to Him, it'll be more than enough. It'll be more than enough. It'll be more than enough. He's going to multiply your little and make much out of it. Hallelujah to God. John chapter 6, Jesus tells His disciples to get in their boat and go to the other side of Galilee. They are caught in a storm. Jesus comes to the shore later after He's been praying uh, in the mountains. Uh, and the Bible says that in the, third, in the third, fourth watch of the night, which is 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, the latest hour, they had told in the rowing they were getting nowhere. And Jesus comes walking on the water. Somebody say, I see Him walking on my water tonight. I see Him walking on the storms of life. I see Him coming to me, rescuing me. I see Him coming with a message of deliverance in my life. Your ship may be going down. Your boat may be filling with water. Your mind be, may be overwhelmed with the cares of life. But I'm here to tell you there's a Savior walking on the water tonight. He's the Son of God. He's built His church. He loves you. He's going to take care of you this evening. Hallelujah. John chapter 9. He heals a man born blind. You remember the story? He takes uh, mud and spits in it. Anoints the man's eyes. Tell him to go to wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. And when the man comes back, he sees. Hallelujah. Jesus no doubt created those very eye sockets and eyeballs. And, 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 and as a result of what He did, that man who was born without eyes, was able to see. And I'm just here to tell you tonight, friend, blindness is not a problem, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's any kind of blindness that may uh, pervade your life. Our God 
is able to make you see the light. Hallelujah. He says, I am the light of the world. Though a man be in darkness, yet will he be able to see. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, the founder of the church. And the last Simeon that John writes about the Holy Spirit moves upon John to use is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Here's a man who'd been dead four days by the time Jesus gets there. And when he gets there, Mary's puffed up. She's at home. She's pouting. She's mad. I know folks that pout because God doesn't do everything they want Him to do when, he wants them, when they want Him to do it. I'll just eat a worm. I'll have a pity party. Martha, she's so mad. She's choleric. She's so mad, she gets out there and she's going to tell Jesus off. I've pastored people like that too. They just delight in telling people off. I'm let that sink in. Martha gets in her little Pentecostal car, goes out to meet Jesus. And Jesus says, Martha, your brother will live again. Here we are. We're going to figure this out. Martha puts her little Pentecostal car in drive and goes 2,000 years into the future. And she says, yes, Lord, my brother will live again. At the resurrection, he'll live again. You know, that's the way we do it, isn't it? They go to Mary, and Mary says to Jesus, same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said, if you'll believe, Mary, you'll see the glory of God. See, Mary, Martha was living in the future. Mary was living in the past. If you'd have been here four days ago, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, listen. Listen, both of you, right now. Listen to me. I am the resurrection and the life. He invokes the almighty name of God. I am. Which is Yahweh, Jehovah. The English transliteration. And it means the almighty God who was and is and is to come. He's God yesterday. He's God today. He'll be God tomorrow. He was God 5,000 years ago. He'll be God 5,000 years from now. He's God right now. What He was trying to tell Mary and Martha is if you'll just believe, I can cause your brother to live right now. Right now. Everybody shout right now. What we need is an anointing of right now. This carpet needs fixed in the front of this building. It doesn't need fixed next year. It needs fixing right now. This parking lot needs fixing. It doesn't need fixing 10 years from now. It needs fixing right now. We've got air conditioners that need fixing. They don't need fixing until next year. They need fixing right now. 
I'm just here to tell you, if we'll start believing that God is a God of the right now, God will walk into our now and He'll show up. Mary and Martha stood with Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. I'm talking about the founder of the church. The one that can walk in the middle of your darkest hour. The one that can call your loved one back out of the trenches of death. Walked up to that tomb. People standing all around. And he told the men that were there, roll the stone away. They said, Lord, don't do that. You know he's been dead four days. Phyllis mentioned and did such a good job explaining the four-day dilemma. The Jews believed that the fourth day was the day of no hope. If, if, if you, three days was the day of resurrection, but four days it was beyond hope. You, you, you couldn't make it. And so they, it, that's why they said, Jesus, he's been dead four days. That's why Jesus showed up on the fourth day. He came when there was no hope. He came when human beings had given up and said it's past the time. I'm just here to tell you, friend, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready because my God is able to show up on your doorstep when you've given up and everybody's thrown their hands up and said there's no way. Our God is the way, the truth, and the life. He'll make a way where there is no way. Somebody shout, yes, Lord. He is our hope. He is our hope. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. The old black preacher said many, many years ago, if, if he hadn't said, Lazarus, come forth, everybody in the graveyard got up. One day he's going to say, everybody get up. <laughs> I'm talking about the founder of the church. He's the one who's master over quality, the master over distance. He's the master over time. He's the master over need. He's the master over natural elements. He's the master over darkness. He's the master over death and life. Jesus is the founder of the church. He said, I will build my church. Don't you want to be a part of the church Jesus is building? Chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Aren't you glad He can walk into your need and supply that need? I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, the blind man is healed and he says, I'm the light of the world. The old Jews and the Pharisees are gathered together and they're talking to Jesus about Abraham, and they're saying, you know, our father Abraham, he's great, and, and we're of him, and we're his seed. And Jesus just looked at him and kind of thumbed his nose and said, before Abraham ever was born, I was. I am. Hallelujah. <laughs> Chapter 10, he says to those looking for direction, I am the good shepherd. He says in chapter 10, those that are looking for a way, I am the door. In chapter 11, he says to Mary and Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Though a man be dead, yet shall he live. In chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't look for any other way. Don't look for any other truth. Don't look for life anyplace else. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In chapter 15, 
He says, listen, my Father is the husbandman. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me, you can ask whatever you will and I will do it. I'm here to tell you, friend, the problem is not with the vine. The problem with us is staying connected to the vine. Jesus is the founder of the church. He's well qualified. Number two, he's the foundation of the church. Everybody say, preach fast, pastor. He's the foundation of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Listen to what he says. Paul's talking. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But I let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Paul says, we're building this church at Corinth. And it's built on a foundation. And then in verse 11 he says, here's the foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, or that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. A lot of people are building churches on personality. A lot of people are building churches on entertainment. A lot of people are building churches on all kinds of programs. And it appeals to the humanness in us. But I'm telling you, the church that Jesus is building is built upon a supernatural revelation of who Christ is. Jesus told Peter when He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon, flesh and blood didn't tell you this. You didn't get this at the AG. You didn't get this at a seminar. You didn't get this at at, at a social meeting. You didn't get this at a Bible study. You didn't get this from some human understanding. You didn't go to Bible school and attain this knowledge. You got this revelation from my Father which is in heaven. And I just want to tell you the church that Jesus is building is built upon a group of people who have received the revelation that Jesus is the one and only Son of the living God and that by putting faith in Him and Him alone will you be saved. You're not saved because you pay tithe. You ought to do it. You're not saved because you go to church. You ought to do it. You're not saved because you're kind to one another. You ought to do it. But you're saved because you put your faith and your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. He shed blood. His resurrection from the dead. That's the only way you'll ever be saved. And it's the only way you'll be a part of His church. A lot of people sitting in church tonight. Well, not as many as there used to be. Because a lot of churches don't even have church on Sunday night. I I, I just want to show you what... And and people would say, oh, Pastor, you're old fogey. I'm, I'm Bible. The Bible says, as the day of His coming nears, you ought to get together all the more. Go to it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together is the habit as is the habit of others. 
I don't want to be a part of that other crowd. But do it all the more as you see that day approaching. I tell you, friend, if you want a clear understanding of the hour we live in, you just look at the condition of, of the church in many, many places. Two mainline denominations have gone through their church hymnody, their hymnals, and have taken out every reference to the blood of Christ. They don't sing about it anymore. They call it slaughterhouse religion. They say it offends people. That's why they'll not be saved. I'm preaching now. You can't be saved without the blood of Jesus. If you don't believe he died on the cross and he shed his blood and that blood washes men's sins away, you will never be saved. You can say, Jesus, I believe you're the Lord all you want to, but if you don't believe he died on the cross and that he shed his blood for your sin, you can't be saved. In whom we have forgiveness through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 1 and 7. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, and no man can lay another foundation. It is one chosen out of many. There is only one foundation. Peter is not the rock of the church. I know the Catholics believe Peter was the first pope. The only problem with that is Peter had a wife. And if he didn't, he's really messed up because he had a mother-in-law. Here, God have a mother-in-law without being married. That's something. If you're going to have a mother-in-law, you might as well have a wife. There's only one foundation. Chosen, elected, and sure. And His name is Jesus. He's the only way to God. There aren't many ways. Oprah tell you He's one way. There's a lot of ways. Oprah don't know what she's saying. There is only one way to God, and His name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that God recognizes as the gateway to heaven. I'm telling you, in His name and in His name only is forgiveness of sin preached. He is the one, the only, and the omnipotent foundation of the church. If you build your life on Jesus Christ, when the winds and the waves come, and be assured they will. The Lord said in Matthew chapter 7, a man built his house on sand, another man built his house on the rock, which are the sayings and teachings of Jesus. The Bible says that the winds and the waves came against both houses. It's proof it rains on the just and the unjust. Notice the difference in the outcome. The winds and the waves beat against that house built on the sand, and the Bible says it was leveled. It was washed away. It was annihilated. Great was the fall of it. But the house that was built on the rock weathered the storm and stood the test of the wind 
Why? Because the foundation of Jesus Christ is conquering and overcoming. And if we have built our spirit lives on Jesus Christ, uh, when this world passes away, when the heavens roll back like a scroll uh, and the sun turns dark, uh, oh, I'm here to tell you, when there is no place or foundation found for the earth and it is removed, uh, we who have done the will of God, we who have built our house upon a rock, we who have Jesus Christ as our Savior are going to be ushered into His presence safe, safe, safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo. I want to get up and run. My wife will shoot me if I do. How do you know you're saved? What is the formula for blessed assurance? It has something to do with this foundation. If you're living a life that's unlike Christ, I'd be worried tonight. If you're saying, I, I, I know Christ, but your life is not changing, something's, you're not connected to the vine. The life of God's not flowing into you. I'm telling you, we sang a song a while ago, said, we're free. Jesus reigns in this place. Freedom. Freedom reigns in this place. Listen, I'm free not to cuss. Yeah, people, people they get mad and they're not saved. They're just, liable to, they're just liable to say anything. But I'm telling you, when I got saved, the Lord freed me from the necessity to cuss. You never looked at it like that, did you? Tell him we're coming in just a little bit. We'll be there. That's got to be Mazio's. Yeah. How do you know you're saved? How do you know you have blessed assurance? Three things. It's a threefold cord. Number one, the atoning work of Christ. You put your confidence in what Jesus did on the cross. He shed His blood for your sins and you've received His work on the cross in your behalf. The atoning work of Christ. Everybody say the atoning work of Christ. Secondly, the abiding witness of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our human spirit that we are sons of God. Every day I wake up, the Holy Spirit whispers in my ear, Hey, child of God. What's He say to you? Don't tell me. I don't want to get discouraged. Every day that you live your life as a Christian, uh, good or bad, sunshine in a rain, storm or beautiful blue sky, the Holy Spirit witness with our spirit that we're saved, born again. And then the third thing, the atoning work of Christ, the abiding witness of the Holy Spirit, and the affirming word of our Father in heaven. God has given us His word so that we might know that we have eternal life. That we've passed from death unto life. These three things are the assurance that we have that we're building our lives on the foundation of Christ. Let me close. <laughs> Everybody said, Praise the Lord. 
You're just doing what I ask you to do. Number three, what is right with the church, the founder, the foundation of the church, and the function of the church? Now, there's a lot of churches doing a lot of things. I, I read about a church, a real contemporary church in, on the East Coast. They're, they're having a Saturday night beer night for their men's ministries. I bet that's well attended, don't you know? I want you to tell, tell me that we're not living in the last days. Men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Pastor. One of the things that the church is called to do is to confront the world. If you're really a Christian, if you're really a Bible-believing child of God, you are going to have a problem with the world. Come on. You're not going to talk like him. You're not going to act like him. You're not going to smell like him. You're not going to go where they go. You're not going to do the things they do. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we can't have friendships and we can't have relationships in the world. We can and we should because we need to win people to Christ. But I'm here to tell you, if we live for Jesus, we are going to confront the world system. You're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Secondly, the function of the church is not only to confront the world, but to convert the lost. Our job is to win people to Jesus. And it's getting harder and harder to win people to Christ. And, 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 and I, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the, the religious condition of the church is making it really difficult because of easy believism and uh, of, of what I'm calling hyper-grace these days. But it still doesn't change the fact that God can break into a human being's life. And when they were walking away from God and loving the things of this world and living their life according to the course of this natural world, God can break into that life and turn them around. Salvation is about being brought out of the world into relationship with Christ and having a change. The evidence of salvation is a changed life. Now, it doesn't happen all at one time. We're all in process. My contemporary brothers would say we're all on this journey together. I'm not real sure I'm on the same path they're on, but we are on a journey. But I'm here to tell you, friend, if you get born again, there is going to be fruit of that born again experience. And you're going to see a change in your life. The function of the church is to confront the world and to convert the lost. And the third thing is to confirm the saint. We ought to be discipling people. Teaching people how to live the Christ kind of life don't you want to be a Christ follower I've lived my life a long time for the Lord most all of it since I was six years old I think I told you the worst thing I ever did that God saved me from was shoot my mother with a BB gun God forgave me my mom never did forgive me I want to tell you tonight, friend, 
It is so vitally important, especially in the hour that we live in, to be a follower of Christ. We must teach and preach the life of Jesus. You hear me? I can't, I can't, I can't teach you and, and, and expect you to live for God if I'm not teaching you the principles of this book. See, see the, these, this is the, where the issues of life come from. This tells me how Christ lived. And if I'm going to be a Christ follower, a Christian, one who follows Christ, one who is His disciple, I'm going to have to do what He did. And that means to love unconditionally and to be self-sacrificing and to be kind and full of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, and all of those things that are who Jesus is. Turning the other cheek, walking the second mile, allowing ourselves to take the back seat, always preferring others before ourselves. You see, that's the person of Jesus. We're living in a culture that wants to be Christian, but it doesn't want to pay the price to be like Jesus. If the church is truly functioning in its anointing, it will confirm the saint by teaching the child of God to follow the lifestyle of Jesus. Finally, I shut my Bible. Doesn't mean anything, but I shut it. The church, what is right with the church, the the founder, the foundation, the function, and our future. I'm finding it more and more difficult in American culture to locate people who really believe in end-time eschatology like the Bible teaches it. Pastor, what does that mean? Eschatology means end-time things. Why did you say end-time things? Well, I I, I paid $10,000 for that word in college, and I'm going to use it. Might as well. I really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I don't believe that is some figment of somebody's imagination or somebody trying to tell us another story or an analogy. I really believe that God prepared a great fish and Jonah was swallowed by it. And he lived three days in its stomach. And then was vomited out on the ground and preached the greatest revival ever in the history of mankind. I I really believe, I really believe that Daniel laid down in a lion's den and slept on a lion's head for his pillow. And the lion didn't eat him. I really believe that. And you know what I believe even more? I believe, beloved brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For we which are alive and remain shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words.
And I, John, saw heaven opened, and him that sat upon a white horse, called Faithful and True, he had a vesture dipped in blood and a name written on his thigh called the Word of God. Hallelujah. And the armies which are in heaven followed after him. They were clothed with fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. And with a sharp two-edged sword that proceedeth out of his mouth, he devoured the beast and the false prophet with the brightness of his coming. John said, an angel, having the key to the bottomless pit, laid hold upon that dragon, that old serpent, the devil, and threw him into that abyss, rolled a great stone over it, and sealed it for a thousand years. And Satan should not for a thousand years deceive this earth, nor those that dwell upon it. You see, I really believe Jesus is coming again. And the next moment, it could happen right now. It could happen in the twinkling of an eye. And it will happen in the twinkling of an eye, which is one-tenth of a second. So you had not got time to put your britches on or tighten your teeth or turn up your hearing aid. you got to be ready right then. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump shall sound. The dead shall be raised, and we shall be changed. Corruptible put on incorruption, mortal put on immortality, so that death might be swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Ha, thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. He's going to step out on the clouds. He's going to appear. He's not coming back to earth. He's just going to appear in the sky. And we're going to be caught up together with Him in the clouds. There's going to be a rapture. The dead are going to be raised. That's a resurrection. Their body's going to be called out of the earth. Their spirit put back into their bodies. And we which are alive and remain are going to be changed in a moment. Have a body like Jesus. And we're going up to be with Him into the presence of God for seven years. We're going to be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll also receive our rewards. This earth will be seven years in tribulation. And then seven years after the rapture, we're coming back to planet earth with Jesus. Revelation 19. And the beast and the false prophet and the armies gathered at Megiddo are going to be destroyed with the brightness of His coming. He's going to bind Satan for a thousand years and He's going to sit upon the throne of His father David and He's going to rule over the house of Jacob forever and forever. Of His kingdom there will be no end. He'll rule this world with a rod of iron. The lamb will lay down with a lion. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The wolf and the, and, and the lamb will play together. The, the child will pick up the spider and the snake and will not be hurt. Nothing will hurt or harm in all of God's holy mountain I'm talking about a thousand years of peace I believe that I'm not an amillennialist I believe literally in a thousand year reign of Christ and you and I are going to reign with him and after that's over with the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. The devil's going to be destroyed forever, thrown into the lake of fire, and he'll, his, the smoke of his torment will ascend up forever and forever. No more devil. Whew. That's a precursor to a shout right there. That's what that is. Whew. 
One more devil. The heavens and the earth will, no more place found for them. And a great white throne. And the wicked dead are called to stand before God to give an account for their rejection of Jesus Christ. And they are going to be cast alive into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And then John said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride for her bridegroom. No more sickness. No more pain. No more parting. No more death. No more wreaths on people's doors. No more flowers to put on graves. No more cemeteries to lay our dead to rest in. Alive, alive forevermore. See, I really believe that. Do you? Come on, church, do you believe that? It ought to stir our hearts. If we believe like the Word of God teaches us, we ought to be the most excited people in all the world. I tell you, I, I, I didn't know how close to dying I was. My daughter came out of that room when the doctor told us that I, I had to have bypass surgery. She said, Daddy, she, tears running down. She said, you ought to be dead. She's a heart nurse. You ought to be dead, Dad. God has been with you. God has been good to you. I'm going to spend the rest of my days doing my dead level best. My life level best. Let me put it that way. I want to spend the rest of my life doing my best to tell people about God and about Jesus and the fact that He's coming soon. We ought to get excited about it. He's coming. If you're not ready, you need to get ready. And if you're ready, you ought to be the most blessed, happy person in the world. They don't take the frown off your face. I, I'm telling you, when, when they rolled me back to, to do that surgery, and I said my byes to my family, I had the most wonderful peace in my heart. I'm not afraid to die. To live is Christ. To die is great gain. To be with Jesus forever is the most wonderful thing I could ever contemplate. I don't want to die right now, but I'm telling you, if it's time, it's, it's welcome. Why? Because I'm in His church. I'm in His church. And His church has a future. And His future, our future, is with Him forever and forever. Somebody lift your hands to God and let's praise Him. Father, we thank You tonight for the Word of God. Thank You for the church. Thank You for its founder. Thank You for the foundation. Thank You for the function. Thank You for our future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Real quick. I'm not going to keep you much longer. Mazios is already called. They're waiting for us. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor... I'm not sure I'm saved. I want you to know you can know that. And I think most everybody in this room realizes they can know that. And if you're not saved, you know it. I want to ask you tonight, would you just take time right there where you are to ask the Lord to wash you in His blood, 
to forgive you of your present sin, to change your life, to write your name in his book. There's only one way to get in his church. There's a lot of ways to get in man's church, but there's only one way to get in Jesus' church. And that's to believe what he did on the cross was about you. He took your place and he died in your stead. Father, I just pray for anyone in this room right now that's not sure about their salvation. Lord, if they don't believe in the atoning work of Christ and they don't have the abiding witness of the Spirit and they don't have the affirming word of the Father, God, I just pray tonight before they go home, they'll say, Jesus, come into my life. I had determined to live for you. And from this day forward, they serve you with all of their heart and become a disciple of Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray for every child of God in this room. Help us to be a part of your church. Serving you and living for you and looking for your soon return. In the closing moment of this service, every child of God in this room, you'd stand tonight, and by standing, you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to be faithful. I love you with all of my heart, and like never before, I've made up my mind, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Nobody's going to have to worry whether or not I'm a child of God. I'm going to live for you, Lord. I'm going to serve you. Everybody's going to know. I'm not going to have to tell them. They're just going to know by the way I live. I'm a child of God. Would you slip your hands up and ask the Holy Spirit to give you more power than you've ever had to be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for letting me be in your church. God, you opened the door to me many, many, many years ago. And I thank you, Lord, that all these years you've been faithful. And I thank you, Lord, for working on me every day of my life. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for never leaving me nor forsaking me. I thank you for your gentle nudges. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your conviction. I thank you, Spirit of God, for keeping me in the straight and the narrow path. For reminding me of what the Word of God says. For never allowing me to become drunk on the cares of life. Oh Jesus, until you come, until you come or you call for me, I mean to serve you. Holy Spirit, give me more power than I've ever had to be a faithful servant of Jesus. God, keep us from the world. Would you just cry that out this night? Keep me from the world, Lord. Say it out loud to the Lord. Keep me from the world. Jesus, keep me from the world. Don't let me be a part of this world system. Don't let me be drunk on the cares of life. Touch my heart with the passion of Calvary. Let me love souls like never before. Help me to see people like you see them. Help us to love one another like you loved us. Oh God, I thank you. 
I praise you. I give you glory. Why don't you reach over and join hands with somebody before we go home. And let's pray for one another. Father, I pray for my brother and my sister tonight that they will be helped and blessed in God. God, you know every need in our lives. Don't let any of them go unmet. God, intervene in our circumstance and situations. God, touch us with your power. Lord, may we truly be a church functioning with an anointing of the Holy Spirit to confront the world, to convert the lost, and to confirm the saint. And God, I pray in my heart of hearts for the church that we might fall in love again with the idea of Jesus coming back to earth again. Lord, that's not a fairy tale. Jesus, you're coming and you're coming soon. We want to be ready, watching, looking and waiting. Let us have that hope in us that keeps us pure. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, bless your people tonight as we leave the house of God. Strengthen us in our journey with you. Help us to be our best witness this week. Give us many opportunities to share Jesus with the lost. God, set up divine appointments. My prayer, Lord, set up divine appointments. Don't let us pass them by. Help us to share Christ and your love with many, many people. We'll give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Shake hands. Be friendly. Tell somebody you love them tonight. Tell somebody you're glad to be in the church. <laughs>